right, so let's go ahead and dive in. Hey, this is Baptism Sunday, by the way, and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We love baptisms around here, and we had three last week. We got six this service, and we got three more next service. Um, so yeah, we're, we're a month and a half into this new year, and we'll have already baptized 12 people, and uh, so that's so good. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Love seeing people uh, give their lives to Christ. So that, that's going to be good. So we'll do that after the sermon. So uh, we're going to continue on in our series that we started a few weeks ago called Dumb Things Smart Christians Say, where we're looking at uh, some dumb things that smart Christians say. That you, A lot of times these phrases kind of work their way into the vernacular of, of, uh, of Christianese. And, um, and so sometimes they are... Sometimes these, these phrases uh, can be helpful and sometimes not so much. And so um, we're looking at the ones that are not so much uh, that maybe, you know, uh, we kind of take on. We, we hear it so, said so many times that you kind of just take it as fact. And somebody will even say, you know, they'll even preface it with, well, you know what the Bible says? And then it'll be like, you know, hoobajibajibajib. And you're just like, that's not in the Bible at all, right? You know, and, and, uh, and so, so we're kind of looking at some of those things. And so our dumb thing uh, that we're looking at this week is, uh, is this one. I can do anything if my faith is strong enough. What? Jeff, you're not supposed to say that. We can do anything if our faith is strong enough, right? I don't know. Can we? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So here's, here's the deal about that, that phrase. You know, um, when, we, when we hear people, and almost every time you hear somebody use this principle in life, well, you know what the Bible says, you can do anything if your faith is strong enough. Um, almost always they quote one specific verse. There are some other verses that might be quoted, but most of the time they're quoting one specific verse, and, uh, and, and, and this is what they say. And they quoted this, this, this one because it's short and it's easy to remember. And, and so this is the one that they quote almost every single time. It's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can, you know, no matter what, um, you know, what I, I feel I need to accomplish, I can accomplish it because I'm standing with Christ. And so I can do anything if my faith is just strong enough. You know, even Jesus said some things about, you know, moving mountains and throwing mountains in the sea if your faith was strong enough and, and, and having the faith of a mustard seed. Now, there's all these kind of things about what we might, can and can't accomplish through the power of faith. And I think if you actually take a look at those verses, there's some extra context there that doesn't make it onto the coffee mug or the bumpy, bumper sticker, right? And so uh, it's, I mean, because those nine words, I mean, they fit so great on a coffee mug. They fit so great on a little bookmark. And, uh, and, and, and the problem with them is, is that there's all these other words around those nine words. And, and so and, and actually this, this whole series has been kind of this exercise of, of hopefully <coughs> it will train our minds to... Uh, when we hear these little, you know, kind of famous uh, verses, these things that, that work, work, make their way onto T-shirts and bumper stickers and coffee mugs and things like that, that maybe it'll train you to take a closer look at that and go, what's, what's actually being said here? I mean, that sounds great that I can do anything I want to if, if I'm just standing with Jesus. Um, but what's actually being said here? So let's take a look at the words right before this passage because it, they really say a lot to us. <coughs> Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and, um, and as he's closing out his letter, this, he, he's, he's thankful that as he's sitting in prison, as he's writing this letter, he's thankful that this church in Philippi has 
uh, not forgotten him, that they still care about him, and they're sending support to him. Now, this is a big deal because back in the day, you know, our, our prison industrial complex that we have here in the United States right now is just, you know, billions upon billions of billions of dollars that get poured into the prison system, right? Not so in Paul's time in the Roman Empire. If they locked you up, if you were accused of a crime, they would lock you up. They didn't do anything for you other than just lock you up. And so you were very dependent on friends and family to bring you food, to bring you, um, um, you know, uh, some, some cash that you could kind of buy and sell things and, you know, make your life more comfortable while you were locked up and that sort of thing. So you were very dependent on people outside of those jail cells because the Roman officials were like, we're, you know, we're done. You're locked up. You figure out the rest by yourself. And so, uh, so Paul is so thankful because this church in Philippi, as he's locked up for his faith, has been supporting him and sending him some things so that he, you know, he doesn't have to just sit there and starve. And so this is, what, this is the context of, of what he's getting ready to say. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've re- re- revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that adds a whole different flavor to just I can do anything I want to if I'm, if I'm with Jesus. What Paul is actually saying is that no matter if the times are good and I've got money flowing and a good job and benefits and everything else that you hope to have in life, or, or if the times are bad and you're out of a job and the money's not flowing and you're having trouble uh, you know, uh, you know, making the ends meet and you're living paycheck to paycheck and there's too much month left at the end of your paycheck, and you know, no, matter, no matter if it's, you've got a lot or if you've got a little, you can endure any of that. You can endure having a bunch. You can endure having not much at all. Why? Because Christ gives you the strength to do it. You can, you, it's not that I can just do anything I want to. I, I've set my sign. I've got this dream, and I'm just going to do it, and I can do all things through Christ. Now, what Paul's saying is that it doesn't matter what life throws at you, financially speaking, you can make it through. You can make it through. You can endure it. And this, he gives us a secret there which is really fantastic. And this is the secret, that contentment is the secret to living in plenty or in want. Contentment is the secret to living in plenty or in want. Now, rather than talk about the dumb thing, I thought it would be actually good for us to focus on what that verse was actually teaching us this morning. And let's talk about that concept of contentment. Uh, in the Christian life, there are these, uh, these things that we oftentimes call spiritual disciplines. And th- there are things that you can do to maybe increase your faith or just make you feel stronger in your faith, help you draw closer to God. And these spiritual disciplines include things like reading your Bible, spending time in prayer, uh, giving, uh, helping uh, those in need, uh, serving others, uh, all kinds of different things. There's all kinds of different spiritual disciplines. And I think one of the most, I'm going to just call it out, the most overlooked spiritual discipline in the American church is the discipline of contentment. We have been poisoned 
by the American dream. I mean, absolutely poisoned by it. It is like a cancer to our faith. This idea of acquire more and acquire more and acquire more and acquire more and acquire more. And chances are almost every one of us sitting in this room are infected by that disease of discontent. Of a, or we're, just, we're infected with that very consumeristic mentality. Now, I'm going to tick everybody off this morning because we don't like people messing with our stuff, right? Like, like I love Jesus, and I'll help out in the nursery, but you better leave my stuff alone, right? And so, so I'm, here we go. Get ready. Just, 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 just go ahead. Take those sh- sh- shoes off. Get ready to get your toes stomped on because here we go. We're, I'm going to dive into this. I'm going to call this out for what it is. It is a spiritual disease that infects almost every Christ follower in this nation. Almost everyone. To the point, if you notice someone who actually does live their life in contentment, they stick out like a sore thumb. You know what I'm talking about? You ever met somebody who just doesn't seem to have an... uh, a need or a desire to acquire things, they're, they just, they're just content with whatever they have. You're like, what in the world is wrong with you? Like, like you need to go to the doctor. Go see a psychiatrist, right? You don't, do you know how good these iPhones are? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it, we, it just eats, it's, it's eating all of us up. Now, you guys have heard me say before that um, this is my disease, I'm confessing to you this morning. I've confessed it to you before. This is my disease. Some people, when they get upset, when they, you know, when they get down or, or you know, they're feeling bad about themselves or bad about life or whatever, some people turn to substances. Some people turn to uh, relationships. Some people turn to food, you know, whatever. I turn to, I get my fix by just getting on Amazon and, I get those little Amazon gifts, those little glory gifts from God that come with a little smiley face on them in the mail. Does anybody love getting the Amazon box in the mail? Yeah, yeah. Guys, don't, don't cheer too loud here, guys. It's getting, it's getting ready to get bad for us, okay? So, so, yeah, man, there's nothing like that fix of getting that Amazon box in the mail. And, uh, and for some of you, I mean, you know, back in the day when I was a teenager, we didn't have Amazon. We'd, we'd just go to the mall. And some of you still go to the mall. I don't even know what you guys are thinking. And, um, but, but there's something about, like, if I feel down, there, I just get that little endorphin, you know, rush. If I can just, it doesn't have to be a big thing. I'm not buying boats and cars or anything like that. Just a book, just a, a record, a, a, a whatever, just some little something, you know, just if I can get it and open it up, it's like, ah. Oh. And that lasts for all of that breath, right? <laughs> it lasts for every bit as long as that breath, you know, takes. And so that's my disease. That's my disease. And, and, and I, I think I shared this with you several weeks ago that back last fall, I really began to feel God dealing with me about my disease. I really began to, uh, you know, feel like God was trying to say some things to me about that and to get me to make some changes in my life. And I, because I, I, I think I realized that, you know, I, I've got, I feel like, I, I don't, I'm not bragging when I say this, it's just, I'm just, it just is what it is. And I feel like I've got a good relationship with Christ. I feel like 
Um, you know, it's not like I ignore my, the spiritual side of my life or anything like that. I, I feel like a very spiritual person, a, a, a good Christ follower. But I began to feel as if what I was becoming more defined by my stuff than I was by Christ. And that, that was bothersome to me. It was, it was very bothersome to me. And so I began to do, just kind of, there was some mental changes I began to make. This hit me all about, I don't remember, late September, early October. And, um, and so I just, I, I just said, okay, I, until Christmas, I'm not going to buy another thing for myself. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to buy anything for myself until Christmas. And so I went for a few months of not buying stuff. And, and, and for that first you know, few weeks, it was actually kind of hard because that Amazon app on my phone is just so easy to get to. Anybody utilize the wish list on Amazon? My, oh, oh, you're missing out. It's great. So, so anytime anything that, that just jumps in my head, like if I see anything in a commercial or on a little side ad on Facebook or whatever else, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's great. I need that. Add it to the wish list. And I would have this wish list Multiple wish. I've got them categorized. Actually, I've got multiple. I've got a books wish list. I've got a vinyl wish list. I've got uh, you know all kinds of different wish lists. Camping supplies wish list. I've got I've got the whole thing right, and they're they're all categorized. And I would just add stuff to my wish list, and so I was constantly living in the wish list. And can we just call the wish list what it is? It's one of the Ten Commandments: Thou shalt not covet. That's, that's, that's the wish list. That's exactly what that is. And so I began to realize that this, this thing had a, a greater control on me than what I realized. So, so I, I lived out that, you know, until Christmas. And then, you know, when Christmas rolled around, I was like, oh, okay, you know, that was that nice little exercise and kind of fasting from shopping for myself. And so, you know, Back to Amazon. Here we go. You know that. You know that's kind of kind of the mentality I went through. And then um, God began to deal with me in a, in, a, in a different area through some sources. I'll kind of share with you in a little bit. But just this idea of look at all the stuff that you have, and it's a lot. We've been we've we've been blessed with a, with a great home. We got we we just we got a fantastic deal on a really you know decent sized home for our family, and. In that home, you know, when we first moved into it, because we moved from a three-bed to a four-bed house. I've got, you know, four kids. It's not like just me and Jamie, you know, walking around four bedrooms. But I've got four kids. And so when we moved from the three-bed to the four-bed home, um, all of a sudden it's like, hey, we got all this extra space. What are we going to do with this extra space? Because the house didn't look right with all of our current stuff. So what do you do when you get more space? You fill the space, Right? And so you just start accumulating, you know, what, what, what do you want to do with, you have these conversations. What do you want to do with this room? This is a great room. We didn't have this room before. What are we going to do with this room? What do, you, what do you think you'd like to put in this room? And so you start thinking about, well, you know, I think it'd look really good here. You know, we put this here and, oh, you know, it'd be great if we had a, you know, whatever, a pinball machine or something like that or, you know, whatever. And we, we just start, you start dreaming about room. And, and so you make this plan to, to buy all this stuff that just a few weeks earlier, you weren't even on your radar, but now you've got this room to fill. And so you begin to fill this room. And so I began to kind of look at our house and go, our, the stuff has overtaken our family. And by the way, this is not a, a lot of people, when, when people start talking about what I'm getting ready to talk about, um, 
a lot of times they'll call it out as, you know, white people problems, right? Or, or you know, upper, upper class problems or, you know, whatever, right? This is not, this has nothing to do with class, financial class or, finan- you know, financial, uh, you know, whatever you call it. What it has to, because you, you take somebody who is, say, a middle class person or, a, a, you know, a, you know, financially upper class person, take somebody who is uh, poverty level, and chances are they have about the same amount of stuff in their home. Because we have made it in this nation so easy to get stuff. So easy to get stuff. I was, I was uh, thinking about this earlier this week and doing some research and stuff, and this actually changed for our country around World War II. But you, if you go back and kind of look historically, pre-World War II, um, people didn't own a lot of things. They owned what they needed, and they did their very best to get good things to make so they would last a long time. And so it was all about your need. You're, you're just you know, kind of meeting your needs. And so back pre-World War II, about 50% of the average American citizen's income, about 50% went towards just food and clothing. Just food and clothing. It was all about just meeting your needs and, and, and that sort of thing. And so people lived in very small residences. Uh, they didn't pack them full of things and stuff. They, they, they just acquired what they needed. And then what happened was when World War II hit and, um, you know, it was kind of like the Industrial Revolution on steroids, all these, you know, these, this manuf- manufacturing went through the roof and manufacturing of things became very cheap. And then after World War II, the credit card industry, you know, the whole credit industry started booming and people were, were now not only all these little houses going up and cheap goods to fill those houses, but now you could get credit to buy the cheap goods that you couldn't afford to fill the houses. And it just kind of piled and piled and piled and piled to the state, state that we are today to where if we, you actually, I probably have had, if you're, if you're, you know, either with yourself or with your spouse, you've probably had some sort of conversation to that, that goes something like this. You know, I'm looking at my income. How much debt can I afford to have? How much debt can I, not, not, not even what can, you know, what can we, uh, you know, how much car, how much house, how much, what, what, whatever, but how, how much debt can I actually tolerate with my income? And we begin to live our lives totally centered around debt and the acquiring of things. Now, in the meantime, this American dream that's what we've been propagating for the last 70 years or so, um, completely flies in the face of biblical wisdom. Completely flies in the face of biblical wisdom. Where, where you know, Scripture tells us that the borrower is slave to the lender. Scripture tells us to, you know, live within our means and be a people who, who store up for a rainy day, who, who are savers and, and who are givers, you know, are generous with their money and things like that. And, 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 you know, Bobby just told us about their decision to, to be, you know, systematic givers here at the church and, and things like that. But, but I guarantee it for some of you sitting in this room, and I'm not, I'm not trying to offend, I'm just going to state what I know is true. For some of you sitting in this room, you felt that tug on your heart to be a more generous person. And when you looked at it on paper, you were like, I've got too many bills to pay to do this. I've got too many bills to pay to do this. And so what you have basically done is because of your debt and your acquisition of stuff, you have forced out one of the key parts of our faith, which is generosity. There's no room in your life for generosity anymore. Why? 
because we had to get that bigger house and we had to get that newer car and we had to, you know, pay for that Ivy League college and we had to, you know, whatever. And so, you, I mean, you're just, you, you just acquire, acquire, acquire. And as I began to kind of look through my house and see the piles and piles of, of stuff, most of which we're looking for places to put, you know, you know, you know that feeling where it's like, oh, we, need, we need more cabinets. We need, maybe we need to get a storage unit. Uh, we got to clean out the garage and make room for all this other stuff. Uh, you know, go clean out that cabinet so we can cram more stuff in it. Um, I remember I was looking at my closet, and I have kind of a double wide closet, you know, and and I'm I'm looking at it, and and I had all my shirts and my pants and my jackets and stuff all in there, and and if your closet looks anything like mine, it's just all crammed in there pretty tight, right? Uh, relatively tight, anyway. And and uh, and <laughs> I was doing laundry one day. And I go to hang up my shirts, and I'm like, man, I'm looking all over the house to find an extra hanger. And I'm like, Jamie, we need more hangers. And then, and then, you know, like a week later, as I'm starting to think through what God's kind of put in my, in my head, it hit me. I don't need more hangers. I need less clothes. Right? I, it's not, it's, the hangers aren't the issue. I've got, I've got a good number of hangers in my house. The, the issue is I need to get rid of some of these clothes hanging on these hangers that... You know those clothes that you have in your, in your closet where, like, when you get down to the bottom, you know, like, laundry's piling up, and, like, you've wore all your favorite shirts and all your favorite pants and all your favorite dresses and everything else, and now it's like, uh, I guess i got to wear that one. <laughs> you know that one? That's the one that needs to go. The one that you dread wearing but, and make yourself wear it when there's nothing else to wear, that's the one that needs to go, right? And so, so I, anyway, just begin, God began to kind of lay even more on this about, you know, kind of this principle on my heart of, you know, what would it look like if I got rid of most of my stuff? What would it look like if I began to, uh, if I established a level of contentment for myself and stayed there rather than just constantly adding, and, and, and I don't mean clean out the house so I can add more stuff to the house. I mean, what if I got rid and scaled down to either what I absolutely needed or what absolutely brought me joy or great value in my life and, and just stayed there and became content with what God has blessed me with. And so then I began to get really stoked about this, really passionate about it, and, and you know, started having conversations with Jamie about it. And it was this, this change had to go off in my head for me to be that kind of person, who, who, to go from somebody who was content from someone who was constantly acquiring things. And I began to ask, why is it that I can acquire something, go buy something, and then within hours or days... I'm looking for the next thing to acquire. Why, why doesn't that, that fix not ever last long, as long as I wish it would? And I, I want to share this principle with you. You can put that on, on the screen. Is that you can never get enough of what you don't really want. You can never get enough of what you don't really want. And what I mean by that is that we are trying, use myself as the example here, as I'm trying to um, 
fill that emptiness, fill that void in my life with stuff, oftentimes you make these kind of impulse purchases just to kind of get that fixed, just because it looks great, just because, oh, that wouldn't that be cool, just because in this device, awesome, even though I didn't even know I had a need for it until three seconds ago. We, 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 I took the, girl, the little girls out to see the glory hole the other day, and uh, you know we've lived here for nine years now, and, and, uh, and I, I, so on the way back from looking at it, I was like, man, I've waited nine years to see that you know, water flow into that thing, and Meadow, she said, how long have I waited to see it? And I said, I said well, how old are you? She said, six. Well, I guess you've waited six years, and, and, and Isla goes, no, you didn't even know what it was two hours ago. You waited for it two hours. <laughs> and so, so, and sometimes that's, that's, a star, that's how we are about acquiring stuff. You know, it's just, it's, you know, we didn't realize we had a need for it until just a second ago. And now we have to have it, right? And so you can't fill the empty spots in your life. You can't fill the sadness that comes up in your life. You can't fill uh, whatever it is you're trying to fill in your life, your, your desire for a relationship, your desire for whatever, you can't fill it with stuff. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Now, it's not... So, so well, Jamie and I began to kind of work through our stuff, and we started with our closet. So I scaled down my closet to uh, literally like 12 shirts and three or four pairs of pants. That's it. And, I, and, and, and my closet looks great. There's like two inches between every hanger now. It's just it's so neat. It's, it's wonderful. And so anyway, but, but it, so it started there and, and we're beginning making policy and, and it's, it's a work in progress. We're still working through it. We're still kind of thinking through rooms. What can we get, you know, what, what don't we need? What, what's constantly causing us frustration? What actually brings joy and value to our life and things like that? And we're beginning to, to work through that. Now, now what I don't want you to hear as I'm talking about this idea is um, one that I'm prescribing this for you. I'm going to let you guys, I'm just talking, I'm just talking about myself this morning with some stuff I've been through, just kind of sharing my heart. I want to let God work that out in you because what God works out in you may look very different than what he's working out in me. Um, and so this is what I want you to get this morning. It's not about, in fact, you put it on screen. It's not that you should own nothing, but that nothing should own you. It's not that you should own nothing. It's that nothing should own you. And what I mean by that is that we have bought into the lie of this American dream so much that it has become a weight around our necks. It has become a weight around our necks to the point that I know because I've done life with many of you long enough that I know that the Lord is constantly speaking to you, challenging you to kind of step out of what's comfortable for you and, and, and live a, a life of greater commitment to him and greater sacrifice to him and, and that sort of thing, that he's constantly challenging you to, to lives of ministry, to lives of service and things like that. And one of the things, one of, many of the things that keep you from doing those things that God is calling you to do is the stuff that you have. Well, I can't, I can't get, you know, I, I can't do this. I can't make that move because I got this house. I talked to someone recently that, that, that they felt God was calling them to ministry in a different city that was not far away at all, just, just a handful of miles down the highway. And they said, we can't do that, though, because we got this house, and I'd, I'd hate to give that up. Even though they felt God speaking to them to make that move. And so what, what they once looked at as a blessing in their life 
was now suddenly the barrier between them and serving God the way that he was calling them to serve him. And we bought into this lie that the greatest investment, the greatest investment in your life is is a home. It's a sound investment. It makes sense. It's the greatest investment that you can make. And I'm telling you, it's a lie. Because for the follower of Jesus Christ, we're told, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth where rust and moth destroy, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because that's where you get the greatest return. That's where you get the greatest return. So what if, just what if, and I'll close out with this, but what if you began to simplify your life to the point that when God moved in you, you could move. What if you done what if you did that? What if so much of the frustration and anxiety that you've been feeling is actually coming from the stuff that you have? And what if you could simplify that? I just want to would you just do this in terms of Again, I'm not forcing this. I'm not prescribing this. I'm just saying, would you just pray about it? Just pray about it. Is it possible that I'm buying into this lifestyle lie that's keeping me from really serving God the way? What about all that stuff? You know, all that stuff in your garage that has just been sitting in a box. You haven't opened that box. There's rat turds in it now, and you know what I'm saying. It's just stuff. It doesn't make any difference in your life at all. Well, what if instead of, you know, what if instead of holding on to things for just in case, you just, you just simplified your life and got rid of it? You scaled down to those things that really gave you value. I just want to challenge you to pray about that and consider that because this is what I know. That whether you have a bunch of stuff or whether you have a small amount of stuff, you can handle whatever comes at you through Jesus Christ. You can handle it. You can handle it. So before we dismiss, I, I want to I recommend just a couple of resources to you just to kind of help you continue thinking about this, okay? The first one is this. There's a documentary on Netflix called Minimalism that rocked my world. That was so good. Uh, it's by these two guys that call themselves the minimalists, and they really embrace this lifestyle of minimalism and, and kind of scaling down. It is, I said it before when I first watched it, that uh, the church should be ashamed that we didn't make this documentary. It is that good. And so, now it's not a Christian documentary, uh, you know, whatever, but, but it's, it's, it's a great thing to watch. It'll help get your wheels turning. And the other one is this little bitty book. It's a small book. It'll take you literally like an hour and a half, two hours to read, called Enough, Discovering, the Joy, Discovering Joy Through Simplicity and Generosity. It's by Adam Hamilton. He's a pastor. And uh, another just fantastic book about learning to live a life of contentment. Uh, but begin, begin now to pray about this and process it and just ask, you know, are the changes that you would have me make right now? Are the changes you would have me make? All right. So let's, let's close and pray this prayer that we've been praying. The Lord's prayer, the one that he modeled for us. Uh, pray it with me. <clears throat> Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you so much. And we thank you that you, um, you give us the ability to 
to handle whatever life throws at us. Um, that what you're not trying to inspire in us is some sort of insane, you know, superhero faith that, you know, we think we can jump over mountains or whatever. But what you're trying to inspire in us is that whatever life throws at us, we can take it when we're standing with you. And so, God, for those in the room that are maneuvering through the waters of uh, scarcity right now, and uh, they're wondering how to make ends meet and how to pay their bills and, uh, you know, all, all those things that come when you're, when you're strapped for cash. God, I pray that you would just help them lean into you and trust you uh, for, um, for, for their blessings, for their daily bread this day. Um, and we know that you'll provide and, and uh, care for them. God, for those in the room that are maneuvering through the waters of excess right now and feeling just as beat down by their excess as some people feel by their, uh, by their scarcity, um, God, work on those hearts as well and help people to let go of the things that are keeping them from fully serving you. We love you. And uh, God... Thank you so much that we know that ultimately peace will never come from stuff, that it will only come from living in a right relationship with you. And so thank you so much that you provided the means through your son, Jesus Christ, for us to, as, as very sinful, very unholy people, to live in a beautiful relationship with a very perfect, very holy God. And so... Um, continue to draw us closer into that relationship. Help us to define ourselves by that relationship and not by the stuff that we have. And God, help us not to buy into every pipe dream that comes our way, but keep our eyes focused on you. On you. We love you. And um, we all readily admit, admit that we are works in progress and none of us are perfect. And we love, many of us have a long way to go. But thank you for loving us all the same. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. Hey, um, let's get some people wet. Let's do this. So.